0: Welcome back to the Rogue Philosopher podcast with Dr. Jesse Workman. Pull up a chair and let me light your cigar. Would you like some brandy? No? Are you sure? Well, that's okay. The doctor will see you now. So I want to start out just by uh, engaging uh, and reacting to or interacting with uh, the work of Jordan Peterson. Dr. Jordan Peterson he has two books out I've read most of them Um, the one he's probably most known for is 12 rules for life which is a bestseller in like 50 countries or some damn thing like that and the other book was maps of meaning he wrote that when he was younger Um, he taught at Harvard now is teaching at the University of Toronto and as is a public intellectual Um, Although his his career is as a scientist and a a physician, he was a a clinical psychologist as well. Um, But although that was his major, uh, a lot of his knowledge is underpinned by two things. Um, One is the experiences of his practice and various research studies on mental illness. He tended to study alcoholism. And the second factor is he had a tremendous grasp of, uh, the earlier, uh, psychologists, uh, Freud, Jung, uh, Piaget, who was, uh, Piaget, who, um, dealt with childhood development and growth and the psychology of children, et cetera, et cetera, far more than I. Uh, I have some familiarity with Jung and Freud, because interestingly enough, um, if you go back 150 years or so, philosophy was its own discipline. It was becoming more metaphysical and breaking off from mainstream science, but it used to be it used to be a scientist would have a doctor in philosophy and they were considered natural scientists. And so all of these fragmentary disciplines now that we see before us used to be more under a unified heading and the, and the sign of the deterioration of philosophy is its continued fragmentation um, because there's no, there's no drive so much now to seek the truth, the truth of ontology or the truth. What, what is the purpose of life? And, and it used to be that you had philosophers who were also scientists and you had theologians who were leaders of religious institutions that had powers equal to that of any any earthly king in the Middle Ages, especially Middle Ages, Renaissance, um, because religion was the primary force guiding people's behavior and holding the communities together. Of course, the religions were also doing massive atrocities uh, against people in the name of their god, supposedly. But he draws a lot, especially in Maps of Meaning, from... Young, uh, C.G. Young, and the Jungian archetypal interpretations. And another scholar, uh, Mircea Iliade, this is for a lot of his uh, discussions of psychological development and psychological states, um, and the more archetypal otherworldliness of, of these situations. Because oftentimes, uh, when a person is in emotional crisis, through their dreams or through specific emotions. It is as though they, they are on kind of a, uh, an archetypal journey, a mythical journey through the unknown, through darkness and through chaos. Um, oftentimes these forces manifest in us and we experience them phenomenologically. I'm fascinated by this. Because whether or not there is a God as we know it, we still experience things as though there were, and with all of the associated interpretations therefrom. Um, but that's not quite enough for modern people to feel fulfilled. I mean, it's, it, I think we can safely say that we have felt increasingly disconnected from each other, from our communities, and, and from our families. Uh, and ultimately from ourselves. And the increase, especially in the last few years, the dramatic increase of suicide, of depressive anxiety, they're saying now that uh, the young people today, um, younger than I by by far, you know, 18, 20-year-old kids, between 18 and 25, or even younger, as young as 10, some of them, okay, are having crises, uh, emotional and anxious uh, crises that are as intense and as painful as what you would have only seen confined in mental institutions back in the 50s. It's become an increasingly um, alienated, terrifying world, and largely, I think, because people have thrown away the connections that nurture you, and then when you're confronting some of the bigger issues in our society and it's continued to fragment, of course there's more depression and anxiety. And I think one of the major drivers of Jordan Peterson, uh, of, of his thought and his affect comes from wanting to restore in young people the sense of personal responsibility and self-confidence that you build by conquering certain elements instead of uh, being victimized by them, which we live in what I can only call a society of the victim. It honors the victim for being victimized, more so than it honors the successful and the hero, although the hero might have been confronted by incredible circumstances They are seen as less, and it continues as as you go. It continues to deteriorate as you go. Um, The the postmodern hopelessness, Uh, it it favors um, increasingly groups or designations of people uh, who can claim uh, a certain level. And then, of course, the left is about intersectionality, which that's basically people yelling at each other, well, my problem is worse than yours. I had to deal with X, Y, Z. No, well, my problem is worse than yours because A, B, and C. And I've got this mental illness and that mental illness and this disability and this impoverishment and this obstacle to, to, uh, to be upwardly mobile. And no doubt there, all those problems do exist in our society. But they're not what drives our society. What what's ought to drive our society is optimism, self-reliance, uh, interconnectedness when that interconnection is meant to increase the health of the community. And sometimes in, in times of need or of crisis, people need to pull together to help one another. But the politicization um, of, of various states in which people are suffering to politicize that and then to declare its weight according to a kind of a, an unconscious and internal checklist of comparison. And so rather than a person being accepted on their merits for the, their achievements in spite of obstacles, a person is being given praise they didn't earn, accolades they don't deserve. Uh, it's very dangerous when anyone who's philosophically dominated a philosopher gets into politics, um, because we tend to be pretty naive about, about how underhanded it can be, even though philosophers think they have a mastery of politics. They, they, they don't, for the most part. They're too abstract. So, but in order to engage with Jordan Peterson, who is not, after all, a philosopher, he's not. He's a, a psychologist with a tremendous amount of knowledge about religious studies. And, and, for lack of a better term, well, the psyche, we'll call it the psyche, uh, how that, the soul kind of functions. And a lot of what drives his 12 rules is the idea of health and, and illness that if you are isolated and if you dwell overly powerfully on grievances, some of which may be legitimate, but you'll become increasingly isolated, angry, hateful, bitter, until you, you arrive at a point where you hate being itself for being. You hate yourself and you hate everybody else. Uh, the reasons are are irrelevant. That, that, that That's the state one arrives at. And a major driving force as far as he's concerned among young people is that when they go to college, totally unprepared to do so, they go to college and they get exposed to postmodern thinkers from the very get-go and increasingly so and across disciplines more and more, as I've said before. And they become indoctrinated with a deep pessimism and disbelief and, and cynicism that they're really too young to hold on to. They're being, they're being twisted before they even have a chance to evaluate themselves. A lot of the postmodern thinkers at the core of their thought is emptiness. It's emptiness, you know then they will try to make points that they're criticizing society and how evil capitalism is and or how evil uh, any sort of competency or hierarchical structures are uh, the, the the very strange mutant hybrid between communism and an almost intellectual anarchy of uh, postmodernism where some of the driving uh, underpinnings that all agree on who are in the postmodern field is there are no grand narratives, there are obstacles artificially keeping people back, that everyone is absolutely equal, and that the more victimized a person is, the more in need of payback. They deserve justice. They deserve. They deserve uh, acknowledgement, and we all need to say how sorry we are. I mean, there's a kind of a of a, especially through Derrida, there's a war against words and concepts, and the idea that uh, certain structures exist for the purpose of oppressing dare i even go so far as to say that words words are a form of violence when they're used to categorize that's a violent a violent attack it's not i don't obviously this stuff <laughs> and i'm not even doing it entire justice um because even the devil must be given his due they made some insights largely because of phenomenology about how experientially there is some leeway in the way a person experiences reality. Um, And there is some room for leeway as far as the relative nature of one's experiences, where in some people's universes, let's say, things always go correctly for them, or they go very well. And in others, everything tends to keep going wrong over and over, and that, that reinforces uh, deep mental illness. And Dr. Peterson has traced this to the, the person's inability to take responsibility. And again, I, I take issue with some of, some of what he has to say about this because I think there is such a thing, he might agree, there are times when people do experience tremendous injustice. Uh or they're hurt really badly and never quite recover. I mean, he's treated such people. He's, he's spoken of such things. But that there's a social, uh, there's a wide malaise. And a lot of that is being driven by the, the, the education, uh, the inadequate and misguided, even erroneous, education that people are getting because of these very, very intellectually dangerous charlatan, uh, false compassion, far left activists. They're very dangerous. Uh, in effect, you, you one goes to school with a certain worldview and a certain set of beliefs and they get shattered at once. they get shattered. And it is one thing if you grow up in a religion and you, on your own, come to the conclusion that it's not for you. You have to leave it. It's not real. You know, you've thought about it. You've read the sources. You've carefully considered. No, they're just being thrown into it, uh, whether they are religious or not, because postmodernism even goes after the basic structure of human nature to... Uh, to to poison the well. To poison the well. And it's worse than that, because now, the younger you go, they're being given contradictory messages. They're being told, you're perfect, you're a winner, you're great, you know? Yet they're not being allowed to, to grow and to express the fullness of their potentiality. You know what I mean? from what little I know of this, I mean, helicopter parenting, uh, the, the whole self-esteem, the issue of self-esteem. And yet, it's in that very population of people that the suicide ideation and suicide rates, I believe they've tripled in the past seven years. Seven years. And... There has to be, something is doing it, right? Kids just don't wake up one day and go to the hospital because they want to kill themselves. There has to be something going on. And it can't all be all at once. It would be too coincidental to believe that all these kids are getting sicker because of of distant parenting, although that's probably a factor. Uh, some sort of poison, <laughs> GMO, God, who knows. But a lot of it is because they're being told when they get into these colleges who aren't teaching them how to think for themselves. They're being given these contradictory push-pull messages from postmodernism. And they're, they've never, they never, they don't criticize society with the goal of wanting to improve it. They criticize their enemies, whom they want to destroy, no compromise. Destroy them. Destroy them utterly. And they hide behind social justice causes, that it's very difficult to stand against. I mean, that, you know, that's an old trick, yeah. If you want to get a bill passed in the Congress, you write it up, and you put in a clause, say to help starving children in an orphanage or something, so that if you vote against this bill which may have a multitude of things wrong with it then you're classified as voting against the well-being of children and that erodes your credibility and your support goes right out the window they know exactly what they're doing and i mean they're the worst kind of thinker the 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 permanent uh unassailable sophist um basically a liar Liar. And I think he takes issue, Dr. Peterson takes strong issue with the socials drifting, the society is drifting more and more towards negation of the individual. Okay, towards negation of the individual, where you deprive them of their capacity to be at their fullest strength at their highest level of, of um, actualization, self-realization, if you're, if you're Jungian, and basically hobbling, hobbling them mentally and emotionally, they're stunted. And I saw a lot of this in my doctoral program and I was very stupid. I actually thought colleges were still about discussion and open-minded discussion. And on more than one occasion, when I brought it up, the inconsistencies. I was shot down like nobody can believe. I was just, just ambushed, just shot down. It's so goddamn phony. And the whole identity, identity politics. I mean, what they call the culture war. I think it's, it's deeper than one's politics politics is just the vehicle it's deeper than that because what we're talking about literally is the unmaking the destruction of western society as we know it the utter destruction of of, in spite of all the evils in our society of which they are numerous we're destroying the good in the name of fighting the evil without actually doing anything to stop it and in fact increasing its power increasing hatred, increasing violence, increasing suicide, increasing mental illness. Because again, um, there have been and there will always be massive problems in any culture, any country, any society, any community. So here we have uh, Jordan Peterson, who, along with being very wise, I think, is a very compassionate, comes across as very keyed into wanting to help. Um, And he's getting a lot of flack for it. Um, Their universities have banned have banned, prevented him from speaking. Most recently, I think it was Cambridge denied him because they, they accuse him of alt-right alt-right associations which he hasn't in fact maps of meaning the entire premise underlying maps of meaning you'll see it in the preface he wants to understand what made these societies go so off the rails into evil into brutality and genocide and mass murder and and robbery and war what did it And his conclusion, in a nutshell, is the the moral corruption and degradation of individuals, one individual allowed for the entire nation, that although one person alone cannot change the direction of a nation necessarily, in a way they can, that one individual's moral values is a reflection of the society in which they are in, And so by agreeing with that, by indulging that, you are supporting, let's say, communist Russia with uh, Stalin. If you're a good member of the party, you are implicitly giving permission and sanction to whatever they do, you're agreeing with it, even if you don't. And a lot of that is missing, a lot of the individual responsibility is missing uh, as well as is an overprotectionist agenda to uh, prevent children from experiencing any sort of any sort of pain even though some pain is good and you know you don't you don't cure let's say you don't stop a disease by forcing the kids to live in a sterile environment you're just strengthening the disease. You're weakening their immune system. They need to have some exposure. They need to have either vaccination from nature or from human sources. And and what do you have now? Because people are more obsessed with clean, clean. Don't let them play in the mud. Don't let them fall. Don't let them have a, a game and lose. Don't let them, don't let them experience life if in the good end and in the bad. What have we got? We have a massive increase in allergies because they're being too heavily shielded and they're not being exposed to bacteria, which is beneficial to be exposed to, even at the risk of getting a little sick. We have a a measles outbreak in a civilized country, a measles outbreak. When the MMR has been a standard, you must have that vaccine or you weren't allowed to go to school. And now what do you have? (laughs) And it's the same emotionally. You don't develop your emotional resistance to recognize emotional pathogens, as it were. And you aren't being given the internal development to take it in stride. So I remember when I was a kid and they started handing out those stupid green participation ribbons. Hold on. But I, I knew the difference between being a winner and, and being a loser. And I can't see, but I would have felt better about losing. There's some things I can't do, which I've gone into this before. I was, I was given some well-meaning but exceptionally destructive uh, indoctrination. You can do anything a sighted person can do. Then, then why is blindness an issue? And I remember trying to run this obstacle course or whatever, hating it, not being able to do it. And at the end, what did they do? They, they gave me a green ribbon. And like, you're still a winner. Or you've it's, No, I'm not. I mean, it's not always a bad thing to lose. To lose, it, it, teaches, it teaches you how to increase your determination to do it better next time. What did you learn? Well, sorry, hang on. what did you learn from this what did you learn from falling down uh, and that's, that's not to say that children need to be uh, allowed to, to hurt themselves or to do really stupid dangerous things but they're not even allowed now to, to play in a playground they're not allowed to lose a baseball game or uh, on track the, the person running no matter what your time is coming across the finish line you're still the first place winner no you're not I felt much worse being given that, that ribbon it, it made a very frustrating and miserable experience it, it, it made it far more uh, present it made it increasingly obvious to me um, and there's well-meaning people who are misguidedly giving misinformation to children that's increasing their distress as children and as adults. Um, and I think that um, it, it is a sort of socially, a social-wide sickness It is a sickness Um, that a very few, very clever activists, some of whom have tried to silence Jordan Peterson um, when he critiques the academy, which he, he that's his bread and butter. Right. Well, he's willing to stand up and critique it. Then there must really genuinely be something wrong with it. Because nobody does that just for attention. They risk their career. They risk their tenure. They risk their pension. They risk being accepted by the community. They don't just wake up one morning and go, oh, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to, no, you you become a kind of a whistleblower, which he is, in a way he is, by calling out the academicians for crummy, sloppy, lazy teaching, uh, indoctrination instead of education. He's a whistleblower. He's calling them out. And we all know what happens to whistleblowers when they expose the negligence or, or danger of a certain group or company or system. It doesn't go well for them usually. Uh, but he's in a position now where his books have sold so well and his talks are so popular. And a lot of what he talks about is, is analyzing the de- psychological development through archetypes either through Young, Mircia Iliade uh, or even the, the you know, archetypes through other psychologists and the idea of one's moral and communal development one has to travel you have to experience certain milestones along the way that help define you that help change you that make you more resilient, or less so. And by throwing that away, by undervaluing it, um, I know when I finished, like I said, I alluded to it earlier, when I finished my, my doctorate, and I actually succeeded in obtaining it through a tremendous amount of effort and a tremendous amount of, of unnecessary difficulty um, I started to wonder if I was crazy. And I'd finished it, and I'd stumbled across one or two of his lectures before, but I didn't know it was him. I didn't connect the two. And when I actually started to listen to some of his talks against political correctness and postmodernism, using the very philosophers whom I studied, using them to point out the weaknesses the crimes of our of our universities i felt tremendously vindicated because by the end sorry hold on i had taken such a uh, a tremendous amount of criticism uh even censure and I began to think maybe I was wrong. Maybe uh, maybe <laughs> maybe I'm, I was so misguided and deluded. I'd, I'd lost a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence in my observations and in my ability to, to interpret a lot of these postmodern thinkers. And he helped me understand, like, no, no. I'm not crazy. This really is hypocrisy and moral degeneracy and, or whatever else you want to apply to it. It really is destructive. It really is terrifying uh, that people are being taught this. And it really is eroding away our community and increasing in a very dangerous level, increasing egotism. Uh, it's almost inducing a sociopathy in people the unwillingness. Uh, and again, I, I think um, demanding that people take responsibility has its flaws, but it's a better idea than, than what we've got in front of us now. A false compassion, false egalitarianism, because there, there's no more e- egalitarianism, there's no more equal now than there ever has been. Uh, and the people on top benefiting the most white old men probably they're making a lot of money at these universities it's unimaginable how much money these people are making in a non-profit institution so called there's no such thing there are only for profit colleges there are no universities they, they say that they're non-profit so why is the tuition so high if it were non-profit one might think well you'd have a lower more reasonable tuition wouldn't you no. And and what's at the core of what they're being taught. Raising consciousness, raising awareness, a pedagogy of, of undermining, literally of undermining authority, of you know, of 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 inducing such a sense of mistrust and cynicism. Uh, and and we've seen we've seen the results we've seen them where uh, people are falling apart. people are embracing a sort of incurable nihilism nihilism, right nihilistic, judgmental, cruel, all in the name of 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 Multiculturalism? Really? When they are some of the most closed minded, least accepting human beings I've ever met. They're only talking about they don't actually mean what they're saying. It's it's about power. I hate to sound like Foucault, but it's about depriving one group or another. It changes every day. Are we at war with East Asia or Southeast Asia? and shaming and humiliating them, or better yet, getting people to hate themselves even more and to shame and humiliate themselves for being what? For being male, for being wealthy, for being uh, uh, <laughs> of the, the so-called dominant group. Um, and it's really ultimately what made him really famous. Hold on. was his uh, stand against uh, excessive political correctness. Um, where you're told you have to use a certain pronoun that isn't part of our language. It's made up. It's a made-up word. Uh, and if you don't do this, then you, you are Hitler or you're a grand wizard of the KKK or something. So there's no in-between. You either, you either play ball or you're one of the hateful enemy. And if you're one of the enemy, uh, they must not be shown mercy of any kind. They're not human beings, they're, they're the embodiment of the worst, uh, most hateful views. Can you imagine, I mean people are being told, even though they're innocent of it, that they're guilty that they're the personification of all that's evil in the world because they don't want to be forced to use certain words. And it's only going to increase because today it's it's one group, okay? Tomorrow it's going to be another and another and another. And as time passes, they're going to start making up problems for people, uh, making up issues fake issues exaggerating them and then proclaiming that on account of them these people such and such and so and so aren't being heard their rights are being violated and that needs to stop and will you do that by by further striking out against the uh, the patriarchy and and make no mistake it's not about it's not although communism is about re-education, the re-education is what's being done in the universities. The the re-education camps, uh, a softer version of them, but that's what they are. And if they're recalcitrant, you imprison or kill them. And and communism, socialism, that's always the end goal. Kill anyone who threatens the utopia. If they won't change of their own accord, reeducate the ones who are, are stubborn, holding on to capitalist notions. Um, and do with them the harshest punishment if they don't, if they don't bow, if they don't, uh, if they don't surrender their their sovereignty. And then. I mean, he made that whole, that whole point repeatedly, dealing with political correctness. Uh, and he is juxtaposing politics with personal development. Because I guess one could say the, the personal is the political, and the political is the personal, even though it's bigger groups in conflict and ideologies and ideas. Um, we need to remember that a lot of people are dead because of Marx who may have had some legitimate criticisms of of capitalism run amok, say from Malthus, may have had legitimate critiques. But his answer wasn't to try to strengthen society and work around it. Or, you know, his solution wasn't, well, go educate the, the people so they can have more choices in their work so they're not being exploited because some of them were, we can't deny that. His solution was have a revolution, and when the time is right, overthrow and kill everyone who represents the, the uh, villainous society. And everything has to be black and white, right? You're for us or you're against us. And I think he tries in his interviews to bring out the, the complexity of these issues, and the stuff that he's accused of—it's—it's it's very unfair. It's very uh, dismissive. Because ultimately, if you can categorize someone, if you can categorize somebody with these negative traits, you're no longer obligated to listen to them. After all, they're—they're they're the embodiment of evil. I mean, would you, would you actually listen to Hitler and take him serious? And it's always Hitler. Would you? allow Hitler to have these points of view for the First Amendment? No, you, you wouldn't. Nobody would, because Hitler was an evil, psychopathic murderer. You know, you, Hitler or Charles Manson, right? But if there's any disagreement... I don't remember a whole lot of discussions in all the eight years going for my doctorate where there were disagreements, where there were actual, open, equally-weighted discussions of topics... There were none. There was some questioning, insofar as trying to learn the intricacies of uh, what each thinker had to say. But there were no discussions that I recall. There were, you know, there were times when it almost felt like one, but it wasn't. You had to. You had to accept it all, lock, stock, and barrel. You were allowed to say, "Well, I." I don't think so-and-so expresses it as well as so-and-so, and I tend to agree with this person more and that person. But what you're not allowed to do is to question. You're not allowed to question the very premise the of the, the canon itself. You're not allowed to. If you do, God help you. As I, as I learned <laughs> rather deeply, you, you don't tell these people you don't agree with them, or they're wrong, or they're or they're missing this, or that, you know, you know, you don't do that. You can't because they don't, they don't want to hear you. The minute you start to say that, the minute they determine you're one of the enemy, you are their enemy. And, and anything is permissible to stop you. Up to and including, I think, and I think it will happen soon, killing there's going to be, there's going to be violence. Um, because now the, the left wants violence. There's often violence at these demonstrations. Um, when I started college, it might have been permissible if you really deeply disagreed or disapproved of someone's views you could pick it you could you could you weren't discouraged so much from protesting, but you weren't encouraged either you in the in the in the case of a speaker, you were obligated to <clears throat> to listen to them if for no other reason than you want to learn better what they think so you can refute it more effectively. As I said before, when I was undergrad in philosophy, the, the, the emphasis was on understanding, learning about somebody else's point of view so well that you could defend their point of view as effectively as they, more effectively even. And it's through that that you come to a better understanding, maybe You change your mind. But what you don't do is immediately write someone off and classify them as the enemy. And violence and terrorism, that's all that's going to result from this. And I know how paranoid that that sounds. I'm aware of it. I'm totally aware of that. Okay. I'll stop this segment for now. Stop button.